Good morning. Welcome to Eastern Shore Baptist Church's podcast. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm so thrilled that you have decided to tune in this week. I certainly hope that today's message will be both encouraging to you, but also I pray that it will be convicting. You can find out more about our church by visiting www.myesbc.net. God bless you and look forward to seeing you soon at church. Thank you, Tony. If you will, you can open up your Bibles to John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. As I stated earlier, this is a familiar text, although it bears, of course, reading and hearing. We're just going to read it and hear it in a slightly different way than what we would normally do. Being that it's so long, I'm going to use a video that I actually use for not only our VBS, but also the VBSs that we did in Vermont. I really encourage you to find this video. It's called The Gospel of John. It's actually word for word the book of John. And it's acted out, it's dramatized out by some really fantastic actors. It's one of the greatest Jesus movies, by the way, that you're ever going to find. Now, as we begin to read, or excuse me, as we begin to watch, and then, of course, read some portions of the text this morning, I want you to notice that tragedy is a part of our lives. There's no escaping tragedy. It's everywhere. And all of the travels, and I've had some limited travels in my life, but everywhere I've ever been, I've always encountered some type of heartache and suffering and tragedy. And we don't escape from it either. As believers, we also experience those moments of heartache and suffering and tragedy. The title of today's sermon is A New Day for a Dead Man. Uh, That's hard to imagine having a new day for a dead man. Now, I've done also lots of funerals. I promise you, there's never a new physical day for anyone that I've ever buried. (laughs) It just doesn't occur. However, there is one exception. One exception. And that's on the moment that Lazarus was buried. Jesus comes to Lazarus four days after he had died and gives this dead man a new day. In the wake of this tremendous tragedy, there is the, one of the most spectacular uh, miracles. Um, we would all probably agree that the resurrection of Christ is the greatest miracle that has ever happened, ever will happen, right? We would all pretty much agree with that. Yet there is this one miracle in John that I would say doesn't rival what Jesus did in the grave on on the cross, but I would say it's right there. It's maybe a step below because Jesus takes this man who was actually more dead than he was, four days dead instead of three days, and raises him up from the grave. It is a spectacular text. So this morning I want to ask a really simple question. What is your reaction to tragedy? What is your reaction to tragedy? Generally, people come in three different camps. They deny it. They, didn't, they, they just kind of want to push it away. It's in the back of their mind. Uh, they kind of uh, put, put things on top of it so they don't ever think about it. Or uh, they are debilitated. They freeze under it. Now, I know a lot of people, that's where a lot of people go. Uh, when tragedy hits their life, they just sort of become stuck in that rut. Every year they remember all the things that have happened. They're confronted with memories of people that have gone by and they never seem to quite get out of that place. Or we can become dependent. 
Maybe we don't ever forget about the tragedies, the people that we've lost, or the sufferings that we've had. But at the same time, we allow those things to push us closer to having a relationship with Christ. We allow those, those moments of suffering to actually minister to us. It opens a doorway, a pathway, if you will, where God can pour out his life, can pour out his spirit into us. We become more dependent on the Lord. This morning, again, we're going to come to a really interesting place. The setting of our text is in a city called Bethany. Now, we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he lived in Nazareth, but you might even say that Jesus' home base, his home, his home operation uh, for missions and ministry was Bethany. Bethany seemed to be a camp, a city, a village, if you will, where a lot of the followers of Christ lived. And I will tell you this, after the miracle that you're going to see today, the text even tells us that a huge number of people, after seeing what Jesus did, raising up Lazarus from the grave, a huge number of people become followers of Christ. We already know, by the way, that in Bethany, before this miracle, we had lots of people that called themselves followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, we know that Jesus loved Bethany because he spent so much time there, but most biblical scholars also believe it was from Bethany that Jesus ascended and went to heaven. So Bethany is a particular special place on the map in Jesus' life and ministry. Now, we also meet some various characters. We meet, of course, Lazarus, uh, somewhat of a minor character, which you would think that's funny, right? The guy that's raised from the dead is actually the most minor character of the story. The greatest character of the story is Jesus, not Lazarus. But we know Lazarus. A few chapters later on, we see that Jesus uh, likes to spend time with Lazarus and his sisters. Lazarus, by the way, the text tells us, is someone that Jesus loved and cared very deeply for. In the text of John chapter 11, you've got the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And we know that Jesus wept. We see that written there because he was con confronted by the feelings of Lazarus's sister. But I think you could also read into the text saying that, you know what, Jesus Jesus loved Lazarus. And so Lazarus we meet. We also meet, by the way, Mary and, Mar uh, uh, excuse me, his two sisters. Uh, we, we meet Mary. By the way, this is not the same Mary that is Jesus' mother. This is a different Mary as well. And we also want to make note that this is not the same Lazarus that was uh, by Abraham's side in Acts chapter 16. This is not a Lazarus from a parable. This is Lazarus from an actual event. Now, uh, Mary, we know, is not Jesus' mother. Uh, this Mary is mentioned, by the way, in Luke chapter 10, verse 42, and John chapter 12. Uh, she is an extreme worshiper of Jesus. Martha, uh, as well, was a, a worker. Uh, we know that story where Jesus rebukes Martha, uh, but Jesus has been given the great delight to uh, by the way, this Martha and Mary were the first that were given this great delight of his resurrection out of John uh, chapter 11, uh, verse 27. So these are the sim similar women. Uh, so this morning, let's roll that, that video, if you will, uh, for me, Miss Barb. Thank you. The teacher's here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and hurried out to meet him. Jesus had not yet arrived in the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The people who were in the house with Mary, comforting her, followed her when they saw her get up and hurry out. They thought that she was going to the grave to weep there.
Mary arrived where Jesus was, and as soon as she saw him, she fell at his feet. Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw how the people with her were weeping also. His heart was touched, and he was deeply moved. Have you buried him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. But some of them said, He gave sight to the blind man, didn't he? Could he not have kept Lazarus from dying? Deeply moved once more, Jesus went to the tomb, which was a cave with a stone placed at the entrance. Take the stone away. That would be a bad smell, Lord. He has been buried four days. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? took the stone away. Jesus looked up. I thank you, Father, that you listen to me. I know that you always listen to me. But I say this for the sake of the people here so that they will believe that you sent me. After he had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. and feet wrapped in grave clothes and with a cloth round his face. Untie him and let him go. Many of the people who had come to visit Mary saw what Jesus did, and they believed in him. 
So this morning, if you will, you can cross out the five there. It's actually six lessons from Lazarus' resurrection. Very briefly, I want to go over these six points, and we'll read some scripture along the way from John chapter 11. But in Roman numeral one, we have for us, delivered to us, a, a medical prognosis. We have a medical prognosis. In John chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick. His name was Lazarus of Bethany in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, the one thing I want to uh, elaborate on this this morning is, is this. Your diagnosis does not have to be definite. Whatever diagnosis that you have that's ever been delivered to you, that, that part or that problem that is weighing on you today, that doesn't have to be definite. It doesn't have to be your, your uh, lifelong experience. Lazarus was sick, and an even worse prognosis was coming to Lazarus' life. That was your dad. Uh, someone uh, said, Lazarus is gone. He's dead. We need to, to take him. We need to wrap him in clothes, put him in a tomb. He is gone. He wasn't just slightly dead. He was very dead. For four days, Lazarus laid in a dark, dank tomb there in the desert where it was nothing but heat bearing down. You could imagine even Mary and Martha said, Lord, you don't want to move the stone because by now his body's rotting. There'd be a, a bad smell, Lord. Boy, there is no definite diagnosis than death. And, but I will tell you this, with Jesus, even though we may have a medical prognosis, even though a doctor may have said something to us or a person has said something to us, and we think our days are coming to an end or our world is falling apart, friend, let me encourage you today, with Jesus, your world may be falling together instead of falling apart. Your diagnosis doesn't have to be definite. When you go throughout the Bible, when you read throughout the pages, you see a lot of people, by the way, that had medical diagnoses that God overcame those diagnoses and delivered incredible miracles and healing. Sarah, Abraham's wife, she was barren, was told she was barren. You'll never have a child, Sarah. And God stepped in. And she gave birth to a child. Rachel could not bear children. She was also barren. Rachel, you'll never have a child. And yet God stepped in and gave her not just one, but many children. Elizabeth, John's mother, she was given the bad news. Elizabeth, I'm sorry, in your old age, you'll never have a child. And then guess what happened? God steps in and says, oh no, you're going to deliver the greatest human being, save Jesus, that's ever lived. And his name is John the Baptist. Hannah couldn't have children. But she prayed. God stepped in and said, Hannah, I'll give you a mighty prophet and you will name him Samuel. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. If you remember, a thorn in his flesh that was delivered to him by a, message of, uh, by a messenger of Satan himself. And yet God stepped in and gave Paul the strength uh, to allow him to be productive in the midst of his great illness. Nebuchadnezzar, remember him? He was diagnosed mad or mentally ill for seven years until the Lord stepped in and brought him back. Naaman, do you remember Naaman? Naaman was a leper. A doctor came in, Naaman, I'm sorry, you're a leper. It's an incurable disease and your body's gonna fall completely apart. And yet God stepped in and he was healed through God by Elisha. Hezekiah, the king, was told that he would die. I'm sorry, Hezekiah, your days are numbered. 
Your life is ebbing away. And God stepped in and healed his body. Various people have received diagnosis, especially in Jesus' day. Think about all the people that had received medical diagnosis from doctors or from wise people. Diagnosis of blindness, deafness, infirmity, paralyzed, disease, even death. And Jesus, God, stepped in and healed every single one of them. Remember Matthew chapter 4, verses 20, verse 23, says Jesus was going throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Friend, let me tell you, God has the power to heal our infirmity, but that does not necessarily mean that he will heal us physically. In this piece of text that I just read in Matthew 4, 23, it said Jesus healed every kind of illness, every kind of infirmity, both physical, mental, emotional, but also spiritual. Notice that healing in life doesn't come until Jesus delivers the good news, the gospel. In order for us to be truly healed, in order for us to experience that healing power of God, we have to first hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important that when we speak to people, we speak to them the truths of Scripture. God has the power to heal, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he will heal us physically. Remember that he did not spare the disciples a, mar a martyr's death. He didn't spare his own son from disappointment, sadness, betrayal, beating, torture, crucifixion, and death. Jesus gives us the promise that in this world, a promise that in this world, when we have trouble, right? When, not if we have trouble, but when we have trouble, God promises us that no matter what our diagnosis, that nothing will ever separate us from his love. Cancer can't separate us from his love. Disappointment can't separate us from his love. The loss of a child, the loss of a job, the loss of a career will never be able to separate us from the love of God. No matter what seat you're in today, maybe you're in a place of great happiness and joy. Maybe you're sitting in a place of great despair and downcast. I promise you that God has not abandoned you. God has not left you. Even when Lazarus was laying in the grave for four days, God had not forgotten about him. God had not abandoned him and certainly had not abandoned his sisters, Mary and Martha. Romans chapter 8 Verses 38 through 39, one of my favorite Bible verses. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even though troubles will find us, Jesus has promised that he will overcome them all. And so if God can't fix us. We, if we know that he can raise Lazarus from the dead, then why did he allow Lazarus to die in the first place? By the way, we see this in the text. Mary and Martha are very frustrated with Jesus because Jesus, in their mind, showed up late. How many times have we ever felt that way? God, you're late. I'm on time. God, why aren't you here? Why don't you care about my problem? If you can raise Lazarus from the dead, then why can't you fix my broken life? Why are you allowing me to suffer? Well, in asking that question, we'll come to Roman numeral two, and we see Jesus' personality. We see Jesus' personality. We're delivered a very stark diagnosis, a medical prognosis that is negative, and then we see his personality. 
Listen to what it says in verse 4. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this, this sickness is not going to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. He responds by saying, this sickness the sickness that Lazarus is experiencing is not going to end in death. Now, now that we are some 2,000 years out from Jesus' ministry, we know what death he's speaking of. He's not speaking of a physical death because we know that he did end in physical death. By the way, that's the way we will all end. We will all end in physical death. Every single person except for us that if Jesus comes back between now and then, all of us will eventually die. But Jesus is not talking about a physical death here. He's talking about a spiritual death. He's saying that, listen, Lazarus' death is not going to end spiritually. It will, be, it will be so for the glory of God. Our suffering, A, B, and C, if you want to fill in these blanks, our suffering creates an emphasis. Have you ever noticed that suffering helps you uh, set priorities? That suffering helps you see the really important things of life? I have. As a pastor, I've had the numerous opportunities to counsel hundreds and hundreds of people about the suffering that they're going through, a, 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 an illness or, or some other type of aspect of their life that's really got them down in the pit. But it's interesting that in that suffering, uh, they're able to really understand the things that really ultimately matter. Did you know in times of suffering, the things that get kicked off, generally the more people suffer, the less they care about work. Have you ever noticed that? That the greater the suffering, the less they carry, the less they care about the office. The more they suffer, they begin to start caring more about family, friends, relationships. They also begin to care more about trying to heal broken, damaged uh, relationships. They, they call their sons and daughters and they want to make things right. Or brothers and sisters, they, they want to come together and they want to heal things and smooth things over. Relationships become really important the more you suffer. No one worries about the deadline at work. No one worries about the reports they have to fill out. It all comes very clear to the person that's suffering. Another thing that becomes very important when people are suffering is where they will spend eternity. There is never a greater time in anyone's life to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ than when they have just a few breaths left. People are wide open to hearing that. By the way, you've ever heard this statement, there's no atheist in a foxhole? You ever heard that before? Boy, let me tell you, that's a true statement. I've dealt with hard People, people that are closed off to the Bible, closed off to Christians, closed off to Jesus until they are laying on that deathbed and then all of a sudden that sounds pretty interesting. Isn't it amazing that God can use suffering to open us up? He, he, he allows it so that we can have an emphasis to set our priorities. Look at letter B. Our suffering creates an eagerness. You know, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that I'm old. I, I, I know I'm not. I, I, I'm, I feel in great health, and I'm thankful to be where I am in life. Um, but I will tell you this. The older that I have gotten, the more age that God has given to me, the longer I have lived, the more days I've been able to experience. Y'all, I cannot wait for heaven. Let me say that one more time, because some of you must not be my age yet. The longer, I, the longer I have lived, the more days I have spent on God's green earth, I, I have come to a conclusion that I cannot wait for heaven. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. 
Because all the problems that I have here on planet Earth, those are all going to be gone. And it's interesting because the more suffering people that I come in contact with, do you know what? The, the more excited they are about going to heaven. I, I visit a sweet little lady in our church. She is precious to me, and I just love her to pieces. But every single time I come by to see her, she said, you know what? I can't wait until God takes me home. Now, when I was 30, I wouldn't have understood that. But as I've gotten older, I began to think, yeah, you kind of got a point. Now, it doesn't mean I want to leave my life now. God's got work for me to do. But I can't wait to experience heaven. And see, sometimes that suffering allows us to understand that there is more to this life than what we are living today. I imagine Lazarus. Can you imagine? I mean, Lazarus has been dead four days. Lazarus is by Abraham's side. He's, a, he's in heaven with the Lord, right? He's, he's there. And then all of a sudden, he's called forth out of that spiritual existence and said, Lazarus, come back to this physical existence. Aren't you glad they didn't interview Lazarus as he's walking out of the grave? He's probably saying, why in the world am I back here? I mean, think about that for just a second. Lazarus is walking streets of gold. He's spending time with his master and his creator. He's fellowshipping with all the people that he's ever heard about. Oh, Moses, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph. He's, he's hanging out here with these guys. He's got a mansion in glory. There's angels all around. There's a rainbow throne. Everything he's experienced. And then, boom, all of a sudden, he's back to planet Earth in the desert, walking out of a tomb. I can imagine Lazarus, although Jesus does good in everything, I can imagine He's looking at Jesus. He's going, what's the deal, bro? You brought me back for this? <laughs> Man, suffering creates an eagerness. But also in this, and this is really important, let her see, suffering creates an exhibit. We display God's strength and character through our suffering. You really begin to understand who you are when you look death in the eye. You understand how deep your faith really is. And the relationship that you've got with the Lord becomes so much more important when you're looking at a difficult situation, a challenging time. We begin to say, you know what, Lord, use me. The reason why Lazarus died is so that God could reveal his glory through him and so that other people would know Jesus. The reason why we suffer, the reason why we have difficult times, and maybe you're asking yourself, God, if you could raise Lazarus, why, why don't you fix my life? No, 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 God is in the business of glory. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's all about him. And the reason why he allows us to suffer is so that his glory can be seen clearly in our life. You, friend, if you are damaged, hurt, abused, whatever it is you're going through today, the reason you are like that is God has chosen you because he knows that you are the best person out there right now to exhibit his glory in your life. God wants to use you to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. For an, you are a piece, you're a part of an eternal equation. John Chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God, the glory of God, might be displayed in him. That was after a healing. 
And people asked him, Jesus, why? Why was this guy born this way? And Jesus said, the reason why he's born this way is so God's glory can be seen in his life so that people will know me. And look at number three, Roman numeral three. We see Jesus pause in verse six of John chapter 11. So when we heard that, excuse me, so when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer where he was. Jesus knew that he was sick and yet he stayed anyway. Friends, I don't know how about you, but I'm always fascinated by a certain animal. Caterpillars, by the way, are some of the most fascinating creatures. I think we have a video here in just a moment. That's okay. Caterpillars, by the way, have to go through four stages, four stages before their metamorphosis is complete. And we probably have seen this in textbooks. They begin as eggs. Then next they hatch as caterpillars. Then they go through a stage where they eat and eat and eat some more. And when they're done eating, they eat a little bit more after that. And eventually they, they have a chrysalis before the transformation is complete. And they can finally emerge as a butterfly. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.1, listen to this. To everything there is a season. There is a time for every purpose under heaven. Often we want to walk straight into the, God, in the calling that God has for us. We want to do and be everything that God wants us to do now. And not only that, but we want to skip the journey that takes us there and do it now. We want to go from being a caterpillar eggs to butterflies in an instance. However, we know that there's risk to anything being born prematurely. In order for anything to be birthed, whether it's a vision or a calling or an idea, we, we who are to fulfill it on a journey, we have to go through all the different stages, all the different seasons of life. When David was anointed king of Israel, he didn't just become king. There was already another king there. His name was Saul. David had to go through a journey of aging, a journey of maturity in order for him to finally assume the throne. He had to do some pretty disgusting things along the way. He had to humble himself in some pretty unbelievable ways for him to finally, for God to say, okay, now you are ready. I'm convinced that like the caterpillar, God wants us to be on a journey I'm convinced there is a, a process. Job said, for he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Sometimes there's going to be pain in the process. Sometimes the journey is going to be difficult. But God knows and sees exactly where you are. When others, by the way, when other people look at you and they see an ugly cocoon, he is, has the ability to look inside that cocoon and see the beautiful person, the beautiful creature that he's creating that is yet to come. Do you know that the butterfly is supposed to struggle to get out of the cocoon. It's not easy. If someone, by the way, this is true. Do you know that if someone helps the butterfly out of the cocoon, if they were to peel the cocoon back, then that means the butterfly's wings aren't gonna be strong enough and it'll just come out and literally the, the butterfly will die if it doesn't struggle to get out of the cocoon. Some of us in this room, we're in the cocoon and we're begging people to help us find our way out. And God's saying, no, 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 I will help you find your way out. I'm allowing you to struggle in this cocoon right now so that your wings are gonna be strong enough, so that your legs are gonna be strong enough, so that your spirit is gonna be strong enough. Don't try to operate around the suffering. Go through the suffering so that you'll be a stronger Christian at the end of the day. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 says, There's an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. Not every good event, but not every bad event either. For every event, God uses every event of our life to help us, to shape us, to mold us. Jesus stops in that moment. He allows Lazarus to experience and taste death. He stops in that moment and he allows Mary and Martha to experience suffering and grief. He allows them to go through it. So at the end of the day when the miracle arrives, all these people, including Lazarus and Mary and Martha, they're all believers with strong knowledge of who Jesus really is. So we see him pause. Look at Roman numeral four. We also see Jesus' pain. We see his pain. In John 11, chap, uh, excuse me, John chapter 11, verse 35, we see that Jesus wept. We see that Jesus wept. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, says, pain removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. And Jesus weeping shows us, by the way, a couple things. It shows us that he's human. He's not devoid of emotion or sorrow. I get frustrated when I see illustrations of Jesus, and he's like this wooden person that's just sort of expressionless. There's no joy in those illustrations. There's no heart in those illustrations. I, I like to imagine Jesus as someone that people enjoyed being around. I, I like to imagine the Jesus that smiled when, when, when times of joy and occasions of joy came his way. But I also like to imagine the Jesus that when, when a, a beloved person dies, that he'd get on the ground with that weeping woman and he'd lift her face up and say, I am here. I'm with you right now. I'm crying with you right now. Right now, I was talking to a lady in our church just a couple weeks ago, and she was recounting the loss of a beloved son. And she was telling me that while she did not understand why God would allow her son to be taken from her, which, by the way, would be the worst that anything could ever happen to us. I can't imagine a worse thing for a person to go through than losing a child. And yet, at the same time, as she was saying that she didn't understand what God's will was in that, she said, I know that God has not abandoned me in this. This grief, this heartache, he's right there with me. And Jesus was not distant. He wasn't removed from Mary and Martha. He was very close to them. He was the embodiment of his name, Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't that awesome that God is with us, that he came in bodily form to dwell among us, that he wasn't some removed off deist God, but he was close and personal. Never think for a moment that Jesus is not aware of your present troubles. He's standing with you. And by the way, he's praying for you. Scripture tells us that. In Romans chapter 8, 34, Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who also intercedes for us. Did you know, I hope this really encourages you today because it encouraged me. I hope right now that you're encouraged knowing that at this very moment that Jesus is praying for you. That Jesus is praying for me. Isn't that an awesome thing to know? that Jesus Christ, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, that he's praying for you, he's interceding for you, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he hasn't forgotten about you, 
that he's there to laugh when you're laughing, and he's also there to cry when you cry. And Jesus is a man familiar with pain and no stranger to suffering. Isaiah the prophet said this about Jesus in Isaiah 53 verse 3. He was despised and forsaken by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So what does Jesus do in his pain? He becomes productive. And that, that's another really great point. In the midst of his grief, he becomes a, a productive person. Jesus does something in the middle of it. He doesn't freeze in the midst of tragedy. He doesn't deny that the tragedy took place. He does something about it. We come to Roman numeral five. We hear Jesus pray. And friend, let me tell you, if you're in the midst of despair, if you're in the midst of suffering, if you're in the midst of grief, let me encourage you to get on your knees and pray. Pray. I believe in prayer. I believe that God hears our prayer. I believe that prayer moves God. I believe that prayer encourages us. I believe prayer is a doorway where we can speak one-on-one -on -one to the creator of the universe. One of the teachers that I was uh, dealing with this week, Deborah Smith, she's in our audience this morning. One of the things that she said as we were in Vermont, she would say, you know, it's hard to understand. These kids don't know that they can speak to God as if he's their very own father. That he's as close as a brother. We can pray anytime, anywhere. There's no place that we can't be heard by God. Jesus, in verse 41 through 43, says these words. So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear from me. But because of the people standing around, I said it, so they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The answer to pain is prayer. Prayer removes walls. Remember, Lazarus was behind a tomb, a tombstone. And as he prayed, guess what happens to that stone? It moves. Jesus says, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a significant stench for he has been dead for four days. Anything is possible when we pray. Let her be. Prayer creates a witness. In verse 42, 41 and 42, they remove the stone. Then Jesus began to pray in front of a large audience of people. It created a witness for other people to see. So should we pray alone? Should we play, pray by ourselves? The answer is unequivocally yes. <laughs> of course you should. But if there's also opportunities for us to use a public space to pray, we should also do that. Again, not so that we can well, listen to how I pray, but so that other people can hear a witness from you. By the way, I tell people all the time that if you want to hear a person's heart, listen to them pray. It creates a witness. But then also, let her see, prayer generates a divine work. Out of that prayer, Jesus says, that he cried out in a loud voice, and he says, Lazarus, come out. It was through the energy of prayer that a miracle took place. Last point, Roman numeral six. We see Jesus' pardon. We see Jesus' pardon. In verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 44, the man who had died came forth 
bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Lazarus's linens were much more to Lazarus than just an inconvenience in walking. Lazarus's linens, those things that he was wrapped in, they were symbolic of a greater problem in Lazarus's life. Lazarus's linens symbolized sin. It symbolized disease. It symbolized death. Lazarus's linens symbolized separation from God. It's the same kind of grave clothes spiritually that we wear before we know Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us, of course, that we're dead in our transgressions, that we are cast aside. We are like sheep who have gone astray. Friend, when Jesus says, cut those linens off, unbind him, he's not just talking about the physical linens. He's saying, let him go. He's free. My name's Jesus, and I came here to liberate. Friend, I don't know what cloth you have wrapped around your soul. I don't know what grave, grave clothes you've been walking around in your whole life, but Jesus has showed up for you this morning and he's saying, I am here to liberate you. I am here to take off the old grave clothes and I am here to put on new clothes, clothes fit for a king, fit for heaven as a reward. Oh friends, I pray that you'll hear the words of Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news of the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom for the prisoners. Is that not exactly what happened to my brother Lazarus? Friend, I pray that you'll hear this last point that I, I, I don't know if you're looking for hope. You won't find it in me, and you won't find it in a song, but you'll find it in Jesus. Go to Jesus. Pray, because I promise you, he wants to set you free and to liberate you the way he did for Lazarus. Will you pray with me?